Good morning. Um, so we, we kind of said that series was beginning this morning, but actually it's already begun. Uh, I thought about the lectionary and the fact that we're in the season of Epiphany now, and we're moving into Lent and then Easter. And as I was praying about our series this during this season, I just realized how uh, powerful this lectionary is, which is a series of readings that we refer to every week as we go through the story that we are in. And I just thought it would be so wonderful if we, because we do this a lot, we follow the lectionary. Um, it's often hard to figure out, well, what kind of teaching theme should we have? Or what's our series? And, and in, in some of the more evangelical churches, we do that. But a lot of churches around the world, they just, they just let scripture speak. And, it, and, and scripture speaks. It addresses everything in our lives that needs to be addressed. And, and I have found that. But it, there's a bit more trust involved in just allowing the Holy Spirit to take us where he wants to take, take us. So I really felt that it was important this time as we go through the lectionary, as we tell our story, the story that we're all in. By the way, whether you know it or not, you're in that story. I think through repentance, through baptism and faith, it's our way of acknowledging that we're in this story. I think everybody's included in that story. And the invitation is, you know, whosoever will may come. And many are called, few are chosen. Well, it has to do with being aware, being aware of the fact that we're in that. And I think repentance and faith is the way that we do that and baptism. So we're in this story. And so we want to lean more into that story and we want to hear our stories. Our, each of our stories are part of that story. That as we listen to each other, as we hear our stories, it enriches our understanding of this big story that we're all in. And um, so the last couple of weeks, we've actually almost introduced this. It's, it, well, we have. It's been introduced through the fact that we learned the first week uh, in January that the, uh, beloved, uh, the word beloved is, is referred to Jesus by the Father in the, in the Gospels. But as we move into the, the epistles and the book of Acts, we find that the early church begins to use that word of one another. And that we're actually included in this beloved community. And it starts by knowing that we're loved by God. And then beginning to have eyes to see that belovedness in each other. Uh, so that's kind of the heart behind this story. And Nathan's going to share today. And uh, I just want you to be thinking. You can read ahead in the lectionary. We'll provide links on the MailChimp. And just think about how your story connects with this, this story, this aspect of the story that we're talking about and I particularly love this text today you know why because this was one of the big ones that God just yanked me out of Calgary Alberta and brought me and brought me to Vancouver BC seriously it was this one this one come on up Nathan let's pray for you now do you want to use this or you can use all right. Cool. I dropped it last week, man. I'll drop it again. We all have gifts. The mic dropper and, you know. Yes. Lord, thank you for Nathan. Thank you, Lord, for the gift he is to our church, to our, that you've given from your heart. Bless the gifts that you've placed in him to express who you are today. And thank you that uh, your anointing is on him, your calling, that passion you've given him. And so we just commit this time to you and, and ask for your help. Help him speak. Help us listen. Help us hear you together. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Um, great. Hi. Um, before I get set up, uh, I'm going to ask Bob and Anna, do you have pens in those offering baskets? Yeah. Okay, great. Um, in the in the service today, I'm going to ask a few questions, and if you'd like, I'm inviting you to maybe jot down your responses, your uh, bulletins uh, have space, so if you would like a pen, if you could put your hand up and maybe Bob and Anna can bring a pen to you, and then uh, we'll get going here. Thanks. Check. Am I good? I'm on. Right. Okay, everyone have a pen if they want one. Great. Okay, so as Gordy mentioned, uh, our theme is our story in the story, uh, God's story. Um, and I'd like to repeat something Gordy said in the church email this week. Um, he said, as followers, followers of Jesus, we have been included in a grand overarching story through faith and baptism, the story of God's relentless mission to rescue, restore, and make our world right again. God has chosen to only do this in partnership with us and the risk and the mess that this entails. Finding our bearings and living sustainably means always remembering the story we are in and finding our place in that story. So story is the lens that I've tried to look at uh, the passage that I'll talk about today in Matthew 4, his story, our story. And I'm going to divide up the passage in three bits or parts and then try to connect them around the theme of story. And the three bits are, first, story as it involves the past, story as it involves others, and story as it involves compassion. So as we go through each section of this passage, I'm going to provide some thoughts on that section, and then I'll pose a question to you. And then I'll give you a few minutes to uh, reflect on it, maybe jot down your thoughts if you would like, and then we'll move on to the next one. And at the end, I'm going to open up the time for you to respond and maybe uh, to a question that might have jumped out at you um, if you would like to, uh, to offer uh, and share that, those thoughts with everyone. Okay? Great. So, um, a little background first to Matthew 4. Actually, I'll go back to this slide. Uh, so, Matthew 4 documents the start of Jesus' earthly ministry. Um, so... We'll remember at the end of Matthew 3, Jesus was baptized in the Jordan by John. The heavens opened, the spirit descended like a dove, and then God uh, said, this is my son whom I love. With him am I well pleased. Then right after that, into the uh, desert Jesus went, 
in Matthew 4. He went to be tempted by the devil. So it's interesting this happens right before the start of Jesus' earthly ministry. I guess he kind of has a spiritual high and then a spiritual low, and then he begins. And it's also interesting to reflect on God's declaration in Matthew 3 of God saying to Jesus, this is my son whom I love and I am well pleased with. And this declaration comes before Jesus had done anything ministry-wise, before he had cast out one demon, before he had um, healed uh, one person of blindness. So we hear, um, and it made me think about uh, how often in ministry or in our lives do we feel we need to do things to earn his love and to earn uh, our identity as uh, his beloved or for him to be pleased with us. I mean, I'll put my hand up. <laughs> um, but here we have the Son of God um, being, uh, being loved by God the Father before he had done anything, uh, before he had cast out one demon, as I said. So that's just kind of an aside, but it's kind of interesting to think about. Why do we put these requirements on ourselves? Well, God the Father didn't put that on God the Son. So he, um, he gets declared, his identity is declared as beloved, as one who God is pleased with. He goes into uh, the desert. He is tempted by the devil. Um, and one of them was uh, that uh, he would become the king of the world. He would have all these kingdoms if he would bow down to Satan. And we'll come back to that specific one in a little bit. And then he passes those tests. He's uh, attended by angels or refreshed by angels. And then that brings us to our passage today, Matthew 4. So, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. You might notice I've added a couple of verses to the lectionary reading, 24 and 25, but I think it'll serve our purposes today. 
So let's go to the first bit. <laughs> let's go to the first bit. <laughs> that was great. I'll be sure to uh, enunciate a bit more. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so verse 12 uh, to uh, 17 here, our first bit. The story that involves the past. So as I mentioned, Matthew 4 documents Jesus' earthly ministry beginning. But the story, we know, did not begin here. There's a lot of history behind, especially the verses in 15 and 16. There's much more going on. His story began long before he started to walk on the shores of Galilee. And when he arrived, how his story unfolded was not how the people, especially the Jews, expected it would. In fact, it was opposite of what a lot of Jews expected. So verses 15 and 16 there come from Isaiah, and that was written 700 years before Jesus walked on the shores of Galilee. So this is an ancient story, one filled with hope of redemption and justice for the Jews. And we see it also, you might be familiar with these lines a little later in Isaiah 9, which says, for us, for, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And we, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. So these verses speak of a king, a Messiah coming to rule and to save Israel. This was well known to the Israelites. Um, so now that, uh, because Matthew was written after Christ had ascended into heaven, we can see that Matthew is looking back here, looking how looking at how Jesus fulfilled these prophecies in verses 15 and in 16. And with this great light coming, as we see in verse 16, we also see in verse 17, the kingdom of heaven coming near. Um, and that was also a loaded term for the Jews. Um, N.T. Wright says that the kingdom of heaven is also uh, synonymous with the kingdom of God. But Matthew uses heaven instead of the word God because he was a Jew. And he wanted to avoid using God out of reverence and respect for that word. So uh, this kingdom was different than what people expected. Now, we, we, um, as I mentioned in Matthew 3 with the devil, or sorry, start of Matthew 4, with the devil tempting Jesus, um, Jesus already rejected um, uh, the kingdoms offered him by the devil. Uh, he was not going to seize his kingdom by making a deal with the devil or by, uh, by force. This kingdom was going to come out about by, uh, in a different way. Okay? But to a Jew in the first century, when they would hear these words, the kingdom of heaven has come near, this meant revolution. This meant overthrow of the Roman Empire. This meant setting up of a Jewish nation God becoming king of the world and setting everything right. So this was loaded into Jewish, Jewish minds when they heard the kingdom of heaven had come near, that all these promises were going to come into fulfillment. They had this hope, this expectation, but they had to turn their minds from this idea of fighting and killing their way for peace and justice, but uh, to, a, uh, to um, their minds 
getting their minds wrapped around uh, a kingdom of light and peace and healing and forgiveness, which was a kingdom that Jesus was going to usher in. So Jesus as Messiah was not what the Jews expected. Jesus uh, as king, uh, his kingdom was not what the Jews expected. And I think similarly, our own stories don't uh, unfold the way that we think. They might be considerably different than how we think they should unfold, or especially sometimes how other people think our stories should unfold, whether friends or parents. Our stories also have a long past behind, it, behind the present story that we are in. Um, and this is also known by God. Um, let's go to Jeremiah, an example of this. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew or I chose you. Before you were born, I set you apart. So speaking to God, knowing Jeremiah's story, even before he was conceived. And this goes on, he goes on to talk about Israel in exile. He's speaking hope to them. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God knows their past. God knows their future. So um, it comes to the end of the first section here. I'd like you to reflect on this question for a couple minutes. Jot down your reflections if you would like. And this question is this. So looking at uh, your story, looking at your past, looking back, can you identify a time or times where your view of who God is or how he acts changed? So we referencing again the Jews seeing Jesus and he wasn't the Messiah they expected him to be. So can you identify a time in your life where uh, your view of who God is or how he acts changed as well? So I'll give you a couple minutes and then we'll continue on. Continue on. No. So uh, we've seen that stories are connected to a past. Uh, stories can unfold un in unexpected ways. We might have to adjust how we see God or how we expect Him to act in our lives. We also see that in this uh, passage today that the story involves others. Verses 18 to 22, the calling of um, the disciples. Jesus calls us to participate in his story, linking our story to his. Um, scholars J.I. Pack, Packer and Alistair McGrath say that he's gathering his disciples, and these are the humblest, humblest class of people. He doesn't go after the rich or highly educated, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the the elites, he goes after some of the poorest and humblest of rank, fishermen. 
And this gospel, um, by doing this, it, it shows that the gospel of Christ is attended, intended for the whole world, not just the elite, the rich. And uh, requirements for people um, to follow him are humility, a contrite heart, a willingness to follow. And these qualities make the poorest of the poor the highest in the kingdom of heaven. Um, and the Christian religion is one whose first teachers were fishermen without the rank, wealth, and power, as I mentioned. And this religion, he, they say, would never have turned the world upside down if it had not been for God. Um, David Platt makes an interesting observation that Jesus is the one doing the choosing here. He is the one doing the seeking. He is doing the calling. He is providing the power for ministry. He says, I will send you out to fish for people. Other translations says, I will make you fishers of men, of women, of children. I will be the one who will give you the ability to do this. And this call is a call just not from anyone, not from a friend or uh, someone in authority over you. This is a call of Jesus, the call of a king, an imperial summons, if you will. And I was wondering how often we give it the weight that it really deserves. I, I know that I don't at times give it that weight. The call of a king, um, we don't really have kings here. We have prime ministers, but we are associated, of course, with uh, England. But we don't have the sense of, I, I don't believe, of the weight of this call. It's not a... Um, we're not to be casual listeners to this call. We're to do something. We are to follow like these fishermen did on the seas of Galilee. Now, of course, not all of us are called to um, drop our work and just walk out our vocational door right then and there. A lot of us are called to follow them right where we are in our work, in our life, whatever that might look like. The point here is, I think, is Christians are to heed his call when he calls you to participate and follow, to submit to his rule and obey him and his summons as best you can where you are. So this brings us to our second question I'd like to pose. What does it look like for you to respond to Jesus' call to follow him, whether at work or in your life generally? All right, so I'll give you a couple minutes to reflect on those, or that question, rather. So we've seen the story involves the past. The story involves us, involves others. And I think the story also involves um, compassion. Well, this uh, uh, bit of the text talks about large crowds gathering around him. I was wondering, who, what brings in crowds today in our culture, in our society? We can think of rock concerts. We can think of sporting events. We can also think of Pokemon. <laughs> Pokemon Go, do you, anyone know this game? I don't know, if is it still a thing? Yes. Is it still a thing? As, as much? But uh, in... <laughs> This was launched in July uh, 2016, I believe, and it's just kind of apparently took over the world. I've not played it, but um, players use their smartphones, apparently, to catch the 
virtual monsters. There's one there, there's one there. And these monsters are superimposed uh, on the environment. So it could be one over by the tree. And you catch them by flicking, I think, these poke balls uh, that capture the monster. And then you, get, you level up and you get different rankings. But in July 2016, this group of people numbered 9,000. They gathered in San Francisco to play this game. It's pretty amazing what gathers us together. Pokemon. Well, in the first century, of course, Pokemon was not there. The crowds gathered around Jesus as they, um, he taught, preached, and healed. Um, crowds, uh, I think, they're made up of all kinds of people, some just to witness the spectacle, some that witnessed and believed in him, some that were directly touched and healed from severe pain, from uh, being demon-possessed, from seizures, uh, paralyzed, whatever they had, he came, uh, they came and he, they were healed. So we can see in verse 23 that he was teaching, he was proclaiming, and he was healing word and deed together. His miracles of mercy and kindness teach the receivers of the miracles, teach the viewers of the miracles, and teach the readers of the miracles about our Lord's power and his compassion. He's healing sick people with a touch. He's casting out devils with a word. So we see his heart and his compassion towards those who are hurting. There is no kindness and compassion like his. Okay. So this brings us to our last question. As you might guess, not Pokemon. There we go. How have you experienced the compassion and healing of Jesus in your life or seen it in the lives of others. I'm going to give you another couple minutes. As we've talked about today, our, the story, our story continues. It has a future. There are pages to be written. Um, the story of God, as he continues to rescue and restore and heal, um, as it makes its way to the final chapter when Jesus returns and everything is made right, as we've talked about. Revelation talks about this. He, Jesus, who was seated on the throne, says, I am making everything new. Thank God for that. That newness also includes the transformation of Christians, of us, as it says in 2 Corinthians 3. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So he knows our story from beginning to end, all the ups and downs, all the good and bad, and he calls us anyways into his story. Imperfect us. We could be on the shores of Galilee being called. But imperfect us, uh, we are perfect for his story. The story that we know the ending too, that he will return and make everything right. We're perfect for it in the past, now, and we will continue to be so in the future. So, so that's what I'd like to uh, share today about this passage. And so now I'd like to open up to you an opportunity to respond uh, to one of these questions, your thoughts, if you'd like to. I've got a mic with a long cord here, so I can bring it right to where you are. You wouldn't have to come up. So if anyone would like to share, uh, 
Uh, please uh, let me know. Uh, as a child, I was raised in the Catholic Church and learned a lot about Jesus as a suffering Messiah, as one who took away my sins and <clears throat> was a great Savior. But I really didn't understand the authority that I had in Jesus until I met people like Gordy and others in the evangelical Protestant community that really um, understood the power of prayer to cast out demons and to pray for the sick. So that was a whole new exciting journey. And uh, sometimes I was on the streets and went into bars, and it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I never had that much fun when I was younger. Uh, I still really value my Catholicism and my faith and devotion and my spiritual practices, but I think that was a huge change for me. Right. Thank you. Great. Yes. I got, I got a kind of a happy one and a kind of a weird one. Well, I guess they're both <laughs> weird because they're, it, I guess it's um, like we've had lots of, all of us have had lots of times of like seeing the spirit world probably or having an idea that there is a spirit world and, it, you know, we live in a secular kind of prominent world, whatever. And anyway, this um, one time um, was... Um, I guess I'll say that, that the really weird, happy thing was when Aiden was born, I remember I saw this baby. That's my, my first kid. I have three kids. And I was there, and Aiden was born, and I, I really felt like I had been watching a black-and-white movie, and when Aiden came out, it was like color. And I'm not joking. I, I was just like, oh. <laughs> I, I don't know how to say it, you know, but I just knew that it was something spiritual. It was just, it was, un, it, like I, I said that, like I had been looking through sort of the, a window like that, and then somebody went, and it, the blinds went up, and it's all of a sudden, I'm, I'm staring into reality, and it's like, I'm thinking, whoa, if I'm looking at this kid this way, then God's looking at me, and maybe I just don't understand anything much about life. Wow. Wow. So it was a big time in my life anyway. Neat. And another time was when, this is a kind of a weird one, is when my dad died, I really had a sense that his spirit was right close to me, and I, I just couldn't get out of my head the, like, I, I've taught Romeo and Juliet, like, a ton of times, and there's, when Tybalt dies, uh, sorry, when Mercutio dies, uh, that's the friend of Romeo, um, Romeo's out for blood and, he's, and he eventually kills Tybalt. But he, the, the line that he says is, he's just a little ways above our heads. Huh. Yeah, and it's like his, he hasn't quite gone up. It was the Catholic idea about God back then. And it's like he hasn't quite gone up to heaven, but he's just a little bit above our heads. And I, I don't know, this doesn't really fit in with Protestant theology or anything, but when my dad died, I really felt like he was just <laughs> above my head. Because we're driving up to Kelowna, you know, where, where they lived. And um, I felt like he was just above the, the van on the way there. Wow. Wow. It's really weird, yeah. but I'm just telling you, you know, I'm answering the question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. Rick. 
Okay, as, a, uh, as an ex-reporter, I'm going to try to do a Reader's Digest version. Okay. I, um, I was saved at a camp when I was uh, eight years old. And earlier that, e that evening, the um, preacher at the camp, which was a Christian camp, had uh, hit me right between the eyes with the uh, fact that I was a um, despicable sinner and I need a savior. So after everyone, everyone fell asleep in my cabin, I said the little prayer that the uh, preacher had uh, said. You should say something like this. So I waited until everyone was asleep and I said the prayer and I became born again. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Rick. Anybody else? Yeah, first of all, this has been a great exercise in general. So I appreciate the opportunity to sit and reflect. Like just carving out the time to just say, sit here right now and think about this has been really great. Um, but I think the thing that surprised me most as I was writing it was in answer to the question of, can I identify a time or times when my view of who God is or how he acts has changed? And uh, I think the realization this morning is it's been very much this, over, this overarching kind of arc over probably the last 10 years where um, it's interesting. I had the opposite experience to Kathleen in that my Catholic heritage as a kid was actually <laughs> quite rosy and sweet as far as this picture of God and it unfortunately, sorry, evangelicals, it wasn't until I came into evangelical culture that there was this feeling of being at war with the world and that the spirit, spiritual warfare was everywhere. And then the devil, I mean, I hid the first night that I had teaching about spiritual warfare. I was like, if there are demons everywhere, there is no way I'm leaving this building. This is insane. And I actually really took on a spirit of fear about the world and um, the spiritual realm and feeling like, we were at war with the world and that we had to sort of pray against everything. And I feel like, specifically since I've had children, the times where I've been most afraid, and even right now as I'm walking in things that are very unknown in my life and in my kid's life, what I wrote was, I've realized that not only God has not given me a spirit of fear, but he's not, he is not a spirit of fear. He is not a God of fear and that we are not at war with the world and that just living in the truth that there is no fear in God. In him there's no darkness at all. So when I have actually faced my really greatest fears, like who God has been in those situations has been the absence of fear sure. in the midst of the most awful things. And that to me has been a crazy revelation, but I hadn't actually figured out how to write that all down until you got us to sit down this morning and do that. Cool. So I appreciate the chance to reflect on that. It's really cool. Cool. Yeah. I think one of the things for me, um, 
how God has changed. I think it's yeah, kind of been over time too. The fact that God speaks to us and speaks to me. Uh, that concept is fairly, well, I guess over my life, it's a fairly new thing. Like, well, God can give this person a word or can speak to me, but not me. Like, I don't, it, that, it's not my experience. And then I had someone, I had been praying uh, for a blessing and for a father's and grandfather's blessing. And then, um, this is uh, years ago now, and then a few months after I started praying that, someone came up to me and prayed that all the blessings of your grandparents are coming out on you. And that was like, whoa, that was intense. Um, and that was the first time that I actually had, thought, well, God is speaking to me. In a way, like, I mean, that's a fairly um, intense thing. It was an intense thing for me. Um, and then it's like, okay, well, maybe God does speak. I am his, I guess, one of... Uh, the, a sheep, I guess, and a sheep hears his voice, and it's like, okay, I, I consider myself a sheep. I think I can hear his voice, and this was kind of a, kind of a, a moment in time for me that it was like, yeah, okay, I'm going to stop believing that I can't and start believing that I do, and it's been a process for me. So that was, um, yeah, it was cool. Anybody else like to share any? Okay. <laughs> Joanna, I've all that told you? Okay. No, that's just good. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm really tired. Um, I think I grew up in an evangelical background, and I think sometimes we take on some weirdness. And mine was that both the Trinity and our relationship was a dysfunctional family where our father was just looking to beat us and kill us. And... Jesus would stand in the way and like, no, don't beat the kids. And uh, so anything that God did was kind of begrudgingly done because he liked Jesus, not us. And so the biggest change I had was realizing that the chief attribute of the Trinity is foreness, each other. And God's position towards us is radical and wild foreness. And so... um, it changes how I then approach. I'm, you can relax a bit, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, and not be so worried. Oh, is God going to beat the hell out of me tonight? Yeah, uh, if I did this or whatever. <clears throat> I mean, uh, and I think the other thing that happens is then it sort of goes. Well, wait a second. If this is the chief attribute of God, who I follow and love and cherish, then that also is. I need to be more like that, and that's been what's been fairly heavy on me, not heavy, but I just am more like, I'm not really that for everybody. There's some people I'm quite not for, and uh, why are you laughing? No. (laughs) But anyway, I just thought that was a big, that was like, I think probably the biggest shift I've had. I mean, all the other things people have said have been really radical too, but that was the one that really struck me the most is that, well, God actually likes hanging out with us. And wants to be with us yeah. and is absolutely 100% yeah. for our flourishing and well-being. I mean, not we're all going to be lottery winners or anything, but, like, he really wants us to do well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Yeah, I would, I would echo that, too, the feeling that God the Father's um, kind of, yeah, who's ready. He's not really kind of happy, and then Jesus is kind of an intermediary between 
Yeah, yeah, oh, man, we've got to reset that, don't we? We've got to reset that. Yeah. Anybody else would like to say anything? Okay. Well, thank you to the brave souls who shared. Um, and um, please continue to reflect on those questions as we continue the series on story. Um, Gordy, do you want to say anything at all? <laughs> yeah, just a couple of things. Um, when Gord was sharing about our view of God and Jesus, it reminded me of something really impacted me a few years ago, of the Salzburg Cross. Some of you have seen that. You know what I'm talking about? So often we have this view, and it's evangelical very much, where God's mad, and I've said it, you've heard me say it, you know, we're bad, God's mad, so he spanks Jesus. And so we have this idea, oh, oh yeah, no, we're bad, God's mad, so he spanks Jesus so we can all go to heaven. And that's kind of our view of the gospel. And uh, the Salzburg, it, this is actually a, an artistic piece in a church in Salzburg, Austria. And it's, it's the father with Je behind Jesus on the cross, suffering. And the spirit is there as a dove. So you see all the Trinity, which is really what Paul said. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. So it's, um, it's, it's just really important, I think, to, to see that the Father was in Christ on the cross. And the second thing is, uh, we were praying this morning, and uh, the sun just came out brilliantly. And of course, being from Vancouver, I got my phone out and wanted to take a picture. No, um, uh, it was shocking. And so I looked out the window back over here from the sacristy, and I saw this tree. And it's just so many branches, so many, you know, it was like branches and, and twigs. And, but it was just, it just looked totally dead. And I just felt that line from the song we've been singing, um, this season doesn't tell my story. Um, and that this, the seasons that we're in sometimes feel very dormant and dead. And part of the expression, of the feeling of that is it just feels like God's gone, that, that God is not active. And, um, and I think that <clears throat> those are part of the story, but they're not the end of the story. And some of you are in that season right now where it just feels like, not only does it feel like nothing's happening, but it just feels like God is gone. And just the Lord wants to just to say, the story isn't finished. And um, just hang in there. And... And remember that Jesus said those words, didn't he? Father, where are you? You're gone. So those places of God forsakenness are actually where God is the most. He's the most present. Uh, but it just doesn't feel that way. It doesn't look that way. So just be encouraged by that and, and know that you're loved and that we're for you. Um, God is for you. God embraces you in this. 
It's part of the story, but it's not the end of the story. It doesn't define you. So if you need some prayer, like if there, maybe you're just at a place where you came in despair today and you just feel like, what's the point? You know, you ever feel that way? This just, what's the point? And, but you just take it another step. It's like when I jog. You know, I hit those times when I'm jogging where I just go, each step hurts. It hurts. I, I pray sometimes when I jog. You know what I pray? Lord, this hurts. That's my prayer. It's lament, right? But I realize there's grace for that next step, right? And you take that next step. So I just feel like if you just need encouragement to just take the next step, you know, and just keep walking. Keep your heart open. Stay grateful. I think thankfulness is, is so important. And sometimes I feel like life is just so hard. And then I'll just be thankful. And I'll realize, you know, I'm the richest person on earth. You know, it's not really that bad. When I look at what other people are going through and what the world's going through. Um, so gratitude, I think, is important. But sometimes you just need help. You know, just in the middle of that. And that's what we're here for. That beloved community. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Great. Did you want a Benedict or do you want yeah. me to Benedict? Huh? Yeah, sure. All right. Um, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for a story that we get to be a part of yours. Thank you for how um, you've led us and how we've experienced you. God, help us to continue to reset our view to who you are, um, God, and that we might continue on a, this wild adventure that you call us, imperfect us on. Uh, be with us this week, um, this day, and uh, we ask for your peace upon us as we go. Amen. Thank you, Father. So if you would like uh, prayer, please do come up. There's snack at the back and coffee, as you know, uh, for us to continue to talk about story, if you'd like. Oh, yes, and Kathleen has uh, a word. No, I don't have a word. I just oh. have an invitation. <laughs> um, Gordy and I are going to, we're free to go to Mission Fest to, to hear um, particularly Kirsten, but also because we've